You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So Eric, the holidays are almost upon us. And uh, I was thinking about getting gifts for people, right? As we do, you know, just, it made me reflect on, you know, when I think about the last few years, what are gifts that I've received that I've really loved and what are things that I've purchased myself or asked for, uh, that I've gotten a lot of benefit from. And so this idea of impactful purchases percolated up and you and I had some exchanges about it and we thought, what a good idea for a show. Talk about, uh, you know, different sort of price points of things that, that we have received or bought for ourselves that have had really great impact on our lives. Yeah. I like this idea. And actually I'm, I made this video about my studio and I called it like a minimalist studio or whatever. And I remember somebody commenting on the video very early on. They're like minimalist that, that studio is full of stuff, you know? <laughs> and I kind of, I started thinking about, um, I just helped my parents move. They moved um, from their house in the Northeast. They moved to the South and we just ended up throwing a lot of things out. So I liked this idea of impactful purchases, especially as we start to frame it against the fire community. We're intentional spenders. We like to plan things out. We like to be intentional yeah. with how we spend our money and invest it. And, you know, thinking about where we're at in the economic climate right now, inflation is hitting us. You know, everyone's dollar has to, you have to be wise in how you're spending things. So I like this as a topic idea. We did come up with a couple of different buckets. Why don't you tell us what the, what the idea that you had for this was? Yeah. Uh, so what we agreed on is kind of two kind of classes of things. And the first would be items under $50. And then the second, maybe a little more luxurious would be items that are under $250. We each have a couple of different items for each one of these categories. And yeah. we tried not to make them the kind of trite items that you hear from everybody in these lists all the time. And hopefully it'll give you a little bit of color as to our own personal lives and how we think about the world pre-fi and post-fi. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, honestly, I like that we're starting with the under 50 because I don't know about how this went for you. We didn't share our thought process, but this was harder for me, but also way more fun to think about the under 50s. And the first one is something that cost me just $5 and in fact was free. And I liked it so much that I paid $5 for the added features. And Ooh, it's just nice. this simple app. It's Apollo, which okay. is a um, Reddit interface. So it's an app that you use to browse Reddit, which is certainly a community I spend a reasonable amount of time on, not, not just in the fire space, honestly, more than ever, just anything else. And, you know, let's face it, the Reddit app, it's not so great. Uh, no okay. offense if anyone who worked on it is listening to the show. I apologize. But I think Reddit, uh, you know, Reddit is such a rich community. There's a lot of places you can go, a lot to do comment threading. There's all these things that could just be a lot better in my opinion. And thankfully a developer out there has put together an app that I use every single day, multiple times a day. And it just makes it a better experience. And when you think about like how you spend your time, even on something right. that's very much entertainment driven, I don't know that that UI and UX, you want to be as good as it can be. So like, this is a great use of $5. So when um, I am not a Reddit power user, although I spend a lot of time on Reddit, you're paying $5 for what added features? Is this saving you more time? Is it just making the user experience nicer? Like it, it, describe for me what it, why five bucks is worth it. 
it's a couple different things. I mean, so an easy one, multiple accounts. I have personal accounts. I have an <laughs> account for the show that we use to to manage our own subreddit, the Two Sides of Fi community. But then a lot of it is very like driven to how I interface with Reddit, and that's just you know automatically marking things red. Okay. Um, you know, as I read, um, you know, things like you know easy to collapse comment threads, just you know clicking on the line and the whole thing rolls up. Oh, um, okay. That, filtering is trivial to put in, you know, if there's certain terms or things in more volatile communities, maybe you don't want to see or, or interact with. It's just very easy to, you know, take all that out of your experience. And so it allows you to be more focused, more efficient. And honestly, it's just more pleasurable to have those kind of add ons. And I feel like the list of things you get with that $5 is like this long. Yep. yep. But it just I found that it like, you know, I didn't have to use it very long before I started looking and seeing like, oh, what else can I do? This default experience is so good. But I don't know, man, just simple features like that. And, and I guess I would add to that, like the, the guy who's developed it, this guy, Christian, he's very active on Reddit as well. He takes user feedback and there's nothing that feels better than, you know, being able to give your input yes. and seeing it put to action. <laughs> yeah, I love so, that. That's great. I mean, a $5 app that probably costs you a lot more in time. <laughs> Yeah, than five yeah. bucks, right? Yeah, I always think of your "how much is your time worth" comment that you've, you know, totally. directed at me many times, rightfully. Yeah. And this is a good example of how I think I can at least slightly more efficiently use my time on something I'm enjoying. All right, unexpected. Uh, here's my first one. My first one's uh, it's actually free. So okay. I don't know if this is a cheat or not, but as I think about things Let's that see. have impacted my life greatly in the past, say. 10 years, but this is the maker's schedule, manager's schedule by Paul Graham. Okay. So Paul Graham is the founder of Y Combinator and he wrote this essay. The basic precept of this is that every person's day and anyone who's working right now, like me, who's pre-fi can relate to this is divided between two primary focus points. So it's mm -hmm. making and managing and the making for me as an architect is anything creative. You know, it's design work. It's the kind of highest and best use of your time. If you're a writer, it's all the writing. Then of course there's the managing and the managing consists of meetings, phone calls, yeah. emails, you know, invoicing all the stuff that you probably don't enjoy that much. Right. <laughs> no. And most of us, and this is actually how I operated most of my professional life. We intermingle those two things throughout the day. Uh, so as I'm sitting there designing an elevation or a floor plan, I'll get a phone call from a contractor who's having a problem. They need it solved right away. So I pull myself away from this creative focused making time and I have to slip on my manager's hat and answer that immediate question. And then when the right. question goes away, I have to then slip back into my creative mode, which is not easy to do. So there's a switching cost between making and managing and all the essay basically describes doing is siloing those two things, keeping them separate. So you find a time, preferably it's the time when you're most creative, when you're most focused for the making. And that's the thing that's going to drive you forward professionally in your business, whatever it might be. And you dedicate that time, that silo solely to that activity. Nobody interrupts you with email. Nobody interrupts you with phone calls and you set your schedule up so that the making time is separate from the managing time. And for me, I take those two silos and I split them with exercise. And so I'm making in the morning because that's typically I get up early. I'm typically making things. I'm most creative. I'm most focused in the morning. And then by the time it gets to be the afternoon, the managing time, that tends up actually tends to be later and later in the day now. Um, but any time from say 2 p.m. on, I'm doing all of those tasks, answering emails, having meetings, phone calls, things like that. The middle of the day to split between those two tasks, I set it up with exercise. And 
I know not everyone can set up their days like this. Um, so I, I definitely feel privileged to be able to do that. But in terms of an impactful, like 10 minute read that has made a huge difference in my life. And so as I think about like organizing things and organizing my entire life, that thing is the thing that then follows on with all of these other kind of purchase okay. items here. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a really fascinating idea. For, for sure, we have to link that article in the show notes because uh, not only do I want to read it, I'm sure other people can benefit from it, even if not everybody has exactly the same flexibility in their day. Was it natural kind of how to split up your day or did you have to experiment and figure out, you know, the ordering or, you know, the duration? I mean, help me understand how that kind of went. I Here's, here's how I thought about it, Jay. Um, I found myself getting, and when I first started my business, I found myself getting to the end of the day and realizing I had done nothing creative at all. All I had done was just yeah. answer other people's priority lists. And right. so, and, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, you know? Um, and, and I know my wife, she carves time out on the weekends to do, you know, her creative, productive work for her own lab. And that's just because that's the time when no one's knocking on her door. Yeah. And for me, it was an easy decision because what I said was, I'm going to take all of that time that people are, you know, contractors get to work at 7.30 in the morning and they quit at 3.30. And I'm just going to say, that's my most productive time. And too bad <laughs> if they can only fit their questions into one hour of the day, they're going to learn that to set their next day up, they're going to call me in the afternoon and they're going to ask all the questions that came up during the day. It. And it took a short period of time to teach everybody who I was working with that I don't answer texts in the morning. I don't schedule meetings in the morning. I don't, you know, all of these different, this kind of operating system, I took control of it. Right. And there, there's so much freedom in owning that creative time. And I just found that the amount of work that I was able to get done and how I felt about the work I was doing changed almost immediately by yeah. doing that. So it's just kind of flipping the day. I got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's super cool. I can see how that would be really impactful. Although I have to tell you, uh, on the flip side, it makes me feel like my next item is like, just a throwaway. No way. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And honestly, like for me, organizing my world is, is time well spent and, and yeah. money well spent. And, and there are things that are going to feel trivial by comparison, believe me. So let's hear your next okay. one. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I would be a bad Gen Xer and maybe you are a bad Gen Xer. I don't know. I'd be a bad Gen Xer if I didn't put video games on this oh, list. Yeah. And I knew it. You know, you, you know, I've kind of always had all the consoles and handhelds and really been into gaming. And yeah, like many people, it kind of took a backseat for a while uh, or certainly, you know, got deprioritized with parenting and, and hours at work, et cetera. And, you know, you kind of stick it on the weekends. But, <laughs> you know, I got thinking about video games and I was like, man, like all the modern era consoles, like those games tend to be like fifty nine ninety five. Oh, yeah. So can't fit them in my $50 list. And, you know, <laughs> I know that I have purchased games that are a lot cheaper that have been super fun and impactful. And so I decided to focus on those and I kept them all in the under $50 list. And I have three different price points. Okay. So the first and probably the most fun game, certainly most fun party game that we've come up with is part of the uh, Jackbox series of games. I don't know if you've heard about them. They have them on no. Steam for Switch and probably some other consoles too. Um, but uh, Party Pack 3 is this set of a few different games and one of them, and by the way, that Party Pack costs $10. Um, Ooh, nice. They go on sale all the time. There's just one game called TKO where it's hard to describe, so I won't take all my time on it, but it involves like designing, um, 
you know, sayings for T-shirts and insane pictures and they end up getting married to each other and you kind of vote individually. And so it's this like party game. And depending on how inappropriate your friends are uh, and maybe if you've had any uh, wine or beer beforehand, it goes off the rails fast. So oh, it's nice. super fun, like cheap entertainment. But gosh, is it uh, great? What's the what's the interface for it? Is it is it like you, you said you don't have to have a console? Yeah, you, so you actually don't, there has to be the usual, like there's one console or one PC, you know, running the game and then you just use your iPhones or, or tablets or, you know, whatever oh, okay. smartphone you have okay. to interface with the game. And so it's actually really lightweight in that way and it's not something you have to plan for and it's not like, you know, doing kind of online gaming where you both need the game and yes. internet connection yeah. and all that. So, um, yeah, it's super fun. Um, is it something you can play like remotely with, with other people or is that, uh, is that more difficult to do? Yeah, it is because, because you have to kind of, I guess you can do it. People did them over zoom, you know, during like lockdown and stuff okay. like that. You just need to be able to display one screen. Okay. I don't know if Super you had like fun. an Xbox live account, you could, uh, you could hook up with some of your friends and, and play good, it that good way. Good question. Yeah. My daughter, I feel like my daughter would know the answer to that better than I would, but <laughs> that I would probably fun, do it though, over man. zoom if I was playing with people who weren't in the same room. 10 bucks, man. That's good. That's a good find. I love games. Exactly. So I have picks at the 20 and $30 tier too, for people who want to be a little more spendy. Okay. Uh, the next two are both games that I bought for myself in the last two years um, for Oculus Quest. And so that's VR headset. I got it during uh, actually right after my retire early date. This was like a little gift to myself that I convinced <laughs> myself I'd, I had earned whatever reason. I'm very good at justifying cost um, and two games that I got that I've continue to enjoy and go back to uh the first is a game called moss uh that was twenty dollars it's a puzzle platformer so it's got you know lots of action but it's also got puzzles you've got to solve but it's this combination of a really you know beautiful art and visuals and soundscape with the kind of vr headset so it's immersive nice. it's a nice kind of escape game uh it's got reasonable replay value for something that you do figure out uh it's not something you're going to play you know week after week but I really got kind of immersed in it when I got it. And I, I've just, it's one of those games I've recommended to anybody who uh, got uh, an Oculus Quest or now Meta uh, Quest. Uh, I just think it's a really great game and it's tough to beat for 20 bucks. Okay, sounds awesome, man. All right, last one, last on the video games list. Uh, my favorite, again, for Oculus is Beat Saber. It's a rhythm game. It's pretty famous at this point. It's available on Steam for you know other headsets as well. It's not limited to this platform, but it's just super fun. I've always been into rhythm games, um, but this is one that you know it's a little more active. Sure. Uh, you know because you're you're standing and you're you're kind of you know waving your arms around like an idiot. Definitely the type of game you do not want somebody to come in the room and see you playing because you look like a fool. <laughs> and if you embarrass easily like me, it's that much worse. But yeah, it's just cool because it combines something I love, which is music like you. Um, but um, it's just it's really fun. It's active and it's something that has like almost infinite replay value because with mods, you can, you know, download other people's kind of songs. And it's just it's super fun is and this, it, it is, never gets old. If you had to describe it, is it like you smashing things with a lightsaber like while you're dancing or like I, I, I yes, have a hard it time? Is. Okay, it, it's exactly what it is. So as the default kind of 
game is set up you have like a blue saber and a red saber and of course mods can change those too and there's like flying blocks and because it's a vr okay. game you know it's very immersive and yes you are smashing blocks and okay. and moving and ducking under things so it's reasonably active for a video game it's enjoyable because you can just crank it up and listen to you know songs you like anyway and uh yeah it's it's super fun how 30 bucks how hard many to believe how many broken tvs have you suffered as a result of this Personally, zero because I use <laughs> wrist straps, but uh, there okay. are definitely uh, videos of lots of terrible things happening say. with Oculus Quest games. This could have some uh, attendant costs with it. <laughs> For sure. I, I, I recommend always use those wrist straps, whether you're, you're playing the Wii or you're playing uh, something like this, because, yeah, throwing controllers through your nice TV is not good for anybody or for your budget mind you i definitely saw i think i saw this over thanksgiving someone you know hooking one of their relatives up to one of these you know vr headsets and like doing a football pass to them and the guy like ran into the wall <laughs> like straight into the wall so i've never tried this it's it's it sounds pretty appealing to me though i think i messed up when you came out here that i didn't strap you into this exactly thing. so i yeah. guess you and laura do have to come out uh, right. this year and then you can try it okay definitely it's on the list Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. All right, man. So I, 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 I mired you in video games long enough. What do you got? Okay, man. So we're going from the digital back to the analog. I feel like, right. you know, California is the cool state. Maine is like the state that's maybe 10 or 15 years behind. So uh, I don't know about that. I'm back in the analog world here, man. So as I talk about setting up my days for making and managing and splitting it with exercise, the making part of my day, I think about this at, with respect to like meta skills and yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with meta skills, but the, basically the way no, I think, me. well, the way I think about meta skills are the kind of higher order skills, skills that you learn that are forcing functions for other things in your life, self-improvement, you know, getting better at, you know, photography makes me a better communicator, a better marketer. You know, I can make a side hustle out of it. So these kind of meta skills, I really try and develop and especially as fitting them into the making part of my day. Um, you know, one of the big things is sketching. So I'm yeah. always sketching for my job, but sketching is one of those skills, this kind of visual communication skill that I think a lot of people can benefit from. And I know actually you are taking an art course coming coming soon, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. Lori and I both signed up for a class, the community college and that's awesome. Back man. in the classroom. <laughs> so, um, you know, a sketchbook and I have always defaulted to the Muji sketchbooks. Um, but in fact, they stopped making the one that I liked. So I started oh, no. making my own. Um, and so I made this kind of trace sketchbook, um, which is just like a vellum kind of sketch paper, but oh, this, yeah. this goes with me everywhere I go. Um, it's just a little dot grid sketchbook. It has, it kind of fits in the hand. I really like a small sketchbook. Some people like the sort of field notes sketchbooks. I love yeah. those too for just note taking. This is my visual note taking, um, paired with this, um, is a good mechanical pencil. I, I happen to like sketching with me mechanical pencil. They're not for yeah. everybody. Um, this one is the Kuru Toga made by uni. And it, the cool thing about this mechanical pencil is at the tip here, um, you know, with a mechanical pencil, as you're using it, it kind of creates this kind of chisel point. Yeah. But with this one, 
every time you press down and you make a stroke, it actually rotates the lead. There's a little mechanism in here that rotates the lead just oh, a little bit. So as you're sketching and drawing, it's always keeping a fine point on it. So I love this paired with my sketchbook. And of course, to put all that together, I have this little pencil case and this is like super nerdy, like, uh, I don't know, middle school kind of stuff, but uh -huh. for an architect, <laughs> I love this. And actually th there's a future tool that I also fit in here as well. This is uh, made by Bellroy. It's just a little pencil case. It's uh, kind of a duck canvas pencil case. It actually can hold a ton of pencils, rulers, colored pencils. Um, and it actually folds open to sit flat and open on the desk. So of course I have oh, cool. erasers and stuff in here too. Um, but this just fits neatly in my bag and it's got this little loop on the end of it. Hopefully this isn't too loud here. Uh, it's got this little carrying loop on the end of it. So you can just kind of pick it up and go, you can clip it to your bag, super useful. And these are tools that I use every day of my life along with procreate. So Procreate mm, is the yeah. only digital thing here. That's my digital sketchbook. And I, I actually, I, it's 10 bucks um, for that app. And I, I literally use it every day. It, it's like having access to every item in an art supply store at your fingertips. I mean, yeah. every kind of brush, marker, pen, charcoal, you're not getting your hands dirty. It's just a beautiful thing. So I realize you also have to have an iPad to go with that. So yeah, 10 bucks, but it also requires an iPad to go with it. But, you know, most of us stop drawing in grade school. Um, and yeah. a lot of it is looking around and seeing other people who have a natural ability and talent for drawing. But I'll tell you, for me, drawing is thinking. And this is how I solve problems. And, and I think if more people learned to draw and not put so much pressure on themselves to make the perfect sketch, yeah. Uh, you come it's up fair. with different solutions. You totally. really do. And, um, and procreate has been amazing for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely will, will spend some time. I'm sure I will want to spend more time yeah, too once I just start drawing again. <laughs> um, so we didn't plan it this way, but I like that you went from an analog to digital and I'm going to take it back to analog. Okay. See, I can do this too. It's not all video games <laughs> and it's a book. Oh man, I love books. Yes, dude. Oh. The Wine Folly Magnum Edition Master Guide, which I recall showing to you when you came to visit me. I love that book. A year ago, it's such a great book, right? I mean, for people that haven't seen it, it's got these like crazy beautiful diagrams and maps and just everything about it is like it's so thoughtful. And you know, you think like, well, it's a book about wine. And you know, I got it because I was, you know, after I started working a day a week at a tasting room, because like, yeah, I know about wine, but I would like to broaden my knowledge about wine and came upon this book, which I saw on YouTube and I bought it and I was like, wow, it's a really great book. And, you know, it just got me thinking about kind of all the possibilities in wine and did I want to do something, you know, in a, from a job perspective in this space beyond what I was doing. And it's, you know, it's just this book that costs $20. Yeah. I, you know, when you showed me that book, when I came out to visit you, I had that same reaction. I was like, Jason knows a lot about wine and this is very interesting to me. And that book just, you can, you can go as deep as you want almost. Exactly. And, I, and I know it's not to the, it's not to the level that you're at being a certified wine taster now, but you know, like I brought it out at Thanksgiving cause we had some guys who just turned 21 and they're having some wine and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. And you can pull <laughs> yeah. that book out and, and point to the flavors or the dominant flavors in a wine and say, this is what you're looking for. This is like the beginning, the mid, you know, the mid palate, the finish. Yeah, and, exactly. and it starts to make sense. And, and I love that it's such a beautiful book. So Madeline Paquette, who's the 
one of the founders and the face of Wine Folly. She's got a YouTube channel. It's phenomenal okay. if you don't follow it. I, I wish I got advertising kickbacks from them for saying this. I do not. But they're wonderful, and that channel got brought me to it. The reason I mention that is she's a graphic designer. And oh, so okay. clearly that plays into that makes sense. their visual approach. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, the fact that it's a James Beard award-winning uh, book means that it's clearly, I'm sure, at this point sold a lot of copies. <laughs> and so I'm sure the effort they put into making it beautiful has paid off. Um, but I have to tell you, something you said there uh, is actually a, a really good jumping-off point, and that is the depth. So I loved the depth of the book, but honestly, and what was surprising is it made me want more. And reading that book is, is one of the reasons that I decided to take more coursework. And I took yeah. the Wine Spirit Education Trust Level 2 course, um, took me a few months to go through the curriculum, attend the, the classes, do the tastings, take the big test at the end. And you know, that book was a key part of me just getting that much more interested. And, you know, I didn't need that for work. You know, my boss actually made fun of me for taking the course because he's like, you know, don't be putting that on your business card that you've oh, got yeah. certifications now. We're not that kind of winery. Um, and he's right. You know, we, we keep it pretty casual, but it was just personal education. And that, cor that course cost more than the price range that we are limiting ourselves to today. But it was okay. super worthwhile and it came about you know, it was just another step on the journey that that originated in reading this book. So yeah, it was super cool. I love it, man. Yeah, books are, they just open so many doors. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by books in my studio. And yeah, you I are. just I can't get enough of them. Um, and I know we're going to talk about more about that uh, in the future here. We are. What else you got? Uh, my next one is, you know, I split my day between making and managing with exercise. And I am lucky enough to live near a national park. I guess this doesn't fit in the under 50 category, does it? <laughs> no, isn't it 75 or 80? It's 80 bucks. But if you are a resident of this area, you can actually buy one for $20 to get into Acadia National Park. So, ah, um, yep. so maybe that's where it fits. But honestly, a national park pass for 80 bucks uh, entering any park in the U.S. For, a bargain. for a year is a complete bargain. And I know you are even more traveled than I am with respect to national parks. But, you know, every summer we take our kids to uh, who are no longer kids. They're like adults. No, but, they are. Um, you know, that was our family tradition. And I think that's true for a lot of people that, you know, that's probably the cheapest thing you do on your vacation is buy the national park pass. And it just opens so many doors. Um, I, I think it's a, an immense value. The other thing that I'll say with exercise is, um, and this may thread, thread in with some of, some of your things. Um, I love these neck gaiters and there's, they, you know, buff makes one. If you've ever watched survivor, I think you're yep. a survivor fan, right? I am. Uh, the, the buffs that they, you can wear in 10 different ways. You know, you can wear it as a headband, a neck collar, you can turn to a balaclava. These Do you like to wear it as a tube top as well? <laughs> <laughs> I have not tried that actually. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. Clearly some people on the show wear it as a tube top, but uh, I'm yes. not one of them. Yeah, I didn't realize. Is that a special kind of buff? Because, oh my God, I'd struggle to think how I would make that into a tube top, man. That I would think be... some of the people on that show are very small people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, along with like an ear cuff, um, and there's an ear cuff that Outdoor Research makes that is uh, less than 30 bucks. Um, 
amazing because when I go hiking every day, especially in, in like three seasons out of the year here, it is cold and it's really windy. And Coldest so this place I've lived, man. Yeah. This thing, you know, you can just cinch it up here and really I, quite often I'm just wearing it as kind of a face mask yeah. to keep the wind out. And also, cause I'm always wearing ear pods when I'm hiking to listen to podcasts and things. Um, it's great for, for that. So that's less than 50 bucks for sure. It's definitely less than 50 bucks. And I, and I think you still get full credit for the parks pass because okay. clearly, you know, you visit two properties in a year and you just divide that in half. So <laughs> right, it's exactly. covered. Okay, cool, man. I like it's it. Covered. I think it's a buy. We've had one. I feel like we've had one every year. Gosh, more than 20 years. We've yeah. had one. I'm oh, not yeah. old enough for the uh, perpetual pass. So uh, I just keep buying it every year. You're getting close. Oh, come on, man. Not yet. We are ready to jump up unless you have an, another under 50 hidden on your list. I do, actually. Uh, All right, so, then you got to go again. Okay, man. My, I got to finish out the managing part of my day. I okay. manage my entire life with Notion. Uh, Notion has a... Tell me about that. They have a free program and they also have a personal pro, which is $4 a month, um, which gives you some upgraded features. You know, if you're working with a team, collaborating with a bunch of people, if you want to have unlimited uploads, I don't know. Do you pay for the, the personal pro plan? I, I do not. Tell okay. me what I'm missing. Okay. So Notion is like a life wiki, essentially. It's the it all-in-one kind of productivity and collaboration tool. It's a very simple, minimalist interface. And I actually use the free version myself. Um, and I set up my maker schedule, manager schedule in here. Um, I have my template. I'll put the links for that in the show notes. Totally, completely free. You can use my template. I have all of my sort of work tasks. I have my weekly schedule. It encompasses every aspect of my personal life. So if I have a maintenance schedule, I just write the maintenance schedule once in there and it's done. I know how to rotate the tires. I know when that's coming up. There's a scheduling function. There's Kanban boards. Like you can use this almost in any way you choose. You know, if I have a reading list, I put, you know, if I, I'm listening to a podcast and I know there's a book I want, I pop it on the reading list on the up next, you know, and then when I'm done, I kind of have a little, I create a little wiki page for it. It's like, oh, here's what I learned in this book. Here's when I read it. I mean, you can take this as far as you want. And I know yeah. there are people online that get a little bit nutty with it, but I'm not sure I could actually live without Notion at this point. You use it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But man, that is a huge statement. I love it. I, I kind of want to get to that level, honestly. But but help me understand if you can just like, did you try a bunch of different like planning and organization tactics before you found this? And how the heck did you stumble on this in the first place and, and, and now have stuck with it for what I think is probably years, right? Yeah. 2020 is when I stumbled okay. on this one. And I had been using Asana prior yeah. to that. Have you used that one? We used it at work. I wasn't like a power user or anything, but I was familiar with it and, and had a little experience with it. Yeah. It, um, it just wasn't right for me and the interface wasn't great. And I felt like I was working too hard. You know, sometimes you feel like you're working too hard to make the productivity tool work for oh, yeah. you. I had, I had used Evernote in the past. and Me too. I mean, I was finding... Uh, like I loved the search function in Evernote, uh, but it also felt to me like just a big pile of sticky notes that was really disorganized. And so the thing I yeah. liked about Notion, and I saw a YouTube video about it, maybe two YouTube videos about it, and, and it was someone who's gone real, real deep on it. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, I could use that for you know, my video projects, I could just set up a template here. And every time I want to start a new video, it pulls the template in. So I have a script there and I have a shot list there and like all these different little things. And then I realized like after using it over time, it's very easy. You know, it's very modular in the sense yeah. that you, 
there's a set of basic elements that you have to work with. Um, and then you can invite people like you and I started using this very early, early on in this project to collaborate. And now we use it right. every, I mean, we're in notion at least every day with this project that we're For doing. Sure. So it's a great way. It's a great collaborative tool. So, um, I think if you start looking at this, it feels a little intimidating at first, but there's these templates that I just started with a template and then I modified the template because you can drag and drop it. And I created something that was useful for me. Ton of videos out there. Uh, I know the, the one thing I will say is it's not SSL encrypted or anything. Whatever information you put in here, uh, you better be comfortable with it being out and available to people. So I know some people are not comfortable with that. Um, the right. way we use it, we're not putting uh, secure information in there. No. You know, we're not putting passwords in there or anything like that. So um, I feel like it's pretty safe in that regard. Yeah, I think so. No, I'm, I'm definitely appreciative that you brought it to my attention. I was using it for my personal life a lot more when I first started. And for no good reason, I got away from it. And I actually missed some of the benefit. So I really do need to maybe maybe seeing your templates since I'm sure you've revised them uh, over oh, yeah. time, I'm sure they're going to make me want to get back into it. So I, I will, I will check it out. Okay. Hey, I one last thing that I wanted yeah. to say uh, for my under 50 um, and that is travel guides. And you know, this is on the book theme. Um, so we're going to uh, Japan coming up oh, in the spring. Favorite. Yeah. And you've been helping me with, you know, ideas for that. But the thing about travel guides is it extends the big spend of the vacation. You know, going to Japan is not a cheap vacation, obviously. Um, right. But this applies to any trip that we take. You know, Laura and I will buy a couple of travel guides. And for a small amount of money, you get to start living the trip like today. And I love kind of reading them and developing itineraries and thinking about what we're going to do and thinking about the place before we get there. It kind of stretches out that spend yeah. for very little money. You know, it's just, it, it changes the enjoyment level for me. Do you use travel guides at all or are you just, um, we used them fly? a lot in the past In yep. the past we used them a lot. Um, even just thinking back to our first trip to Japan, which now is, you know, 10 years ago, I think we had travel guides at that time. I, I feel like we got away from them some yep. since then, um, you know, or maybe we'll look at something in the library and kind of take some notes that will lead us to, you know, kind of the typical online journey. But I mean, they are nice to go back to, too. Um, and you know, some things don't change very quickly. So, I mean, I do like that idea. I, I like this concept of like, if I can call it amortizing the cost of a vacation over longer periods of yeah, time, yeah. uh, it's kind of a nice mental exercise, but it, it's got basis too. I don't not think the it's cost, like, but also the value. Like yeah, the, the value, value is what I meant, not the, not the cost. Yeah. That's a, and, that's and a you much can, better way to put it. I mean, you you were pointing to me to some online resources too, and that, like that's that's just as valid. It doesn't have to be a sort of physical travel guide. Uh, sometimes yeah. what I find when I'm online. I, the hypertext of the internet pulls me away <laughs> to some other yeah. distraction. Oh gosh, I'm the worst at yeah. that. <laughs> so anyway, having a physical guide is, yeah, we're kind of flipping back and forth between the analog and the digital, aren't we? We are. All I'm right. going hardcore analog on this one. Okay, I mean, we let's should probably like, so we're, we're going to jump up. It's going to be under yes. 250. Okay. And I want to be clear. <laughs> I, I, what I didn't, I didn't put too many constraints on myself and how I thought about this list, but I knew I didn't want to just live at the top end. Like, let's see how many things I can find over $200 yes. that are amazing. Smart. And I honestly, it didn't take me that long to think about like really impactful stuff that was under a hundred bucks. And the, the most analog on that list, but also what I realized, one of my favorite things I have purchased in the last few years, and I'm probably going to hurt myself trying to show this to you, but I'm going to do my best. Okay. I love props. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Phi. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesofphi.com. <laughs>